listening to UWA Alumni's Pursue Inclusion podcast series. Thanks for downloading this episode. UWA is committed to an inclusive society where every life is respected as unique and valuable. Visit our website at pursueinclusion.uwa.edu.au to see how you can join with others in the UWA community to create positive change. Welcome to the Pursue Inclusion UWA podcast series. This is your host, Dr. James Kelly. I'm the host of Executives After Hours podcast, as well as the forthcoming book, The Crucible's Gift, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. Today on this episode, I have the pleasure to speak with Miss Natasha Kusmuk. Did I get that right? You did well. (laughs) You did well. (laughs) I'm phonetically challenged all the way, so it's very stressful for me. So Natasha, thank you very much for stopping by. How are you today? I'm well, I'm well. I'm really excited about this one. Awesome. Pretty good. Um, pretty good questions. I'm sure you're going to ask me really tough ones. <laughs> I've got I've got snowballs and fastballs, so we'll see how it goes. Fantastic. Uh, I'm ready. <laughs> can you can you quickly do a, just a just a 3000 meter view of what you do? What do you guys say in Australia? Do you say 10,000 foot view or do you say like 3000 meter view? Like do you do it in parlance of or do you God, use neither uh, of those? <laughs> usually um, I, I've been I suppose in in my time in Australia, I have been accustomed to someone saying, "Give me the three-minute elevator spiel," and um, the three-minute elevator spiel is that's a really long elevator wait if that's the yeah. that's how long it's <laughs> taking because I don't think we have skyscrapers in Perth. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose I could give you that um, in terms of where I'm at, what I'm yeah. doing work-wise. Please. Look, I've been doing um, I've been doing a lot of work for the government recently and over the last seven years. But at the moment, I do multicultural community liaison for the Department of Social Services. So, so what does that uh, mean? A bit of federal government work. Yeah, what does that so mean? So what it means, oh God, that is, a, that is a big one. So what it really means is I have a beautiful job, okay, because I get to go out into the communities, multicultural communities, and I can explain that a little later when we get into the crux of it, but I get to sort of meet new arrivals, refugees, communities that have uh, sort of their linguistically or ethnically diverse have settled here in Australia and are still perhaps struggling or doing some amazing work, succeeding at sport. And quite frankly, some of them have really awesome food. So they invite me to awesome events. And look, the real reason why um, I suppose the government would be interested in this is we do care about, you know, social inclusion, social cohesion, and of course, making sure that policies and programs fit with the current status of our demography in Perth, in WA, and of course, Australia. So without getting into the community, you won't really know if policies or programs work, whether it's uh, welfare or uh, programs for children or things to do with migrants. So that is one of my jobs to do among the odd policy work and here and there, which of course is the boring stuff and I won't bore you with that. Well, I, you know, I, I actually am really curious about the idea of the refugees and I can't remember the actual name of where they're at, but off on an island and how you get these individuals who are lucky enough to land in Australia to assimilate to a culture that's probably very different than yours, right? Like that's, I know that's not necessarily your job, but I mean, at the end of the day, what happens, it happens in America, it happens here, happens in most countries, happening in Europe all over. It's those that are different get persecuted because they're different. And it's trying to bridge Mm. that difference, the same, the similarities. How do you, how do you get there from a government standpoint, if that makes sense? Because there's a lot of like, 
anti-immigrant sentiment right now around the world? Oh, no, definitely. Definitely. Look, it's a global... Uh, I think we're having a bit of a, a global crisis of culture because a lot of people are fearing that bringing in migrants will, you know, attack their identities. It's going to change things for the worst. And look, I think in Australia, I've lived in a few countries, of course, that are less, less, perhaps less welcoming at the time. But I think, I think, you know, you raise a really good point. It is a global phenomenon. But in Australia, we do have this culture of diversity and, and um you know, we like food. We like going down the street and going, um, you know, going to an Indian restaurant that's owned by Indians. And, you know, we don't think of that necessarily as a negative. But then if you kind of go the other flip side where it's financial and you go, look, but they're taking our jobs or they're, uh, you know, things that you feel are attacking your identity. Sure. So from from our, and of course, it's, it's a very, uh, I call it the fluffy stuff, but um, it's a very human emotion to have. So part of my job and part of the job of, of all governments, I think, is to build capacity on both sides. So understanding on one. So perhaps the communities that are already here, most of them are already migrant communities, but they've forgotten that. Because, of course, the original settlers in Australia are the Indigenous people. And, of course, other than that, the rest of us are really third, second, fifth generation migrants. So uh, realizing that perhaps that cultural disconnect is occurring because we're too too isolated as an island, aren't we? The other thing is, of course, people that are coming here, there are also some fears that they do have having come from countries, war-torn countries, refugee camps, and building up their capacity to, to engage with what is already out there. So not necessarily going to their local church and hanging out with their local friends who speak the same language, but being comfortable enough to go to pretty much anywhere, just as any Australian citizen should. So that, I suppose that's a bit of a juggling act because some people don't want to, some people want to, but ultimately what it comes down is this question of inclusion. Are they feeling that they can access what they need? Are Australians who are fearing that identity crisis, are they feeling like this is a threat and why? And sort of negotiating the two, of course, not just my job, it's everyone's job, but I suppose I play a big hand in that, um, as, as does the department as well. So so, yeah. so let, me, let me then take a step back, and, and you've kind of brought up an interesting point. When you think about what the current environment is politically as well as from the media standpoint, and you have all of these stances of for or against, and the language they use is never really a positive of inclusion. So... Like when you see this and you live in this, it often gets me thinking, do people actually want inclusion? Like, is that something that they are keen for? I don't know. Look, that's a really good question. And it's something that I think is very common to ask, especially because we see so much negative media. We do see this idea of, you know, why do we need to put in the hard yards to, to make inclusion happen? What's the benefit? All, all common questions, I think it's um it's it's pretty easy to exclude people because diversity is so, well, look, whenever you think of anyone, you go, well, they are different because. I think the idea that inclusion means including difference is where we've kind of, I suppose, we, we do fail as a, as a society. But ultimately, I think people do want inclusion because, and I use this example a lot and I make it as a joke, but it's a very real reality. In looking at refugees, for instance, um, or, or people with disabilities or people who do not understand your language, we think by having inclusion, we're not really benefiting, are we? But I always think, think of yourself if you were dropped in the middle of Ghana, for instance, and you do not know the local language, you do not know the local currency food, you have no idea 
where to get a house, you know, all of those things. It becomes quite confronting for you, but I'm sure the locals too would go, hmm, a bit different. Who is this person? And so inclusion is is just, I suppose we like the term inclusion, but it's actually that feeling of comfort. So my, I suppose my perspective on that is, do we need inclusion? Yes, but I don't think we get a say in it. It just happens naturally over time we as we that? progress. So then why do we need it? Well, why? Good. So <laughs> I think what we actually need is to acknowledge that by okay so by including people you're actually gaining a lot of assets you're gaining whether we're talking about refugees for instance or people of islamic faith for instance it's a fear that we have about why should we include people like that they're doing bad things they're uh, they're not putting in the hard yards too it's not good what we find is we have a society that becomes very uh, pluralist very strong together uh, becomes very well educated very knowledgeable very wise. I'll give you an example. I suppose um, I, I use the example of the food. Uh, we don't think of food as a bad thing, but we think of including migrants as a bad thing. And yet here's the positive. We don't need to travel to Singapore to get Singaporean food. We don't need to travel to China to get Chinese food. Similarly, if we're thinking about intellect, um, people that come from overseas and us as well, we in ourselves have a lot of benefits to give to, to community when you build those bridges, that sharing becomes our strength, I think. So I think that inclusion is necessary. But again, I don't think anyone has a say of saying, no, we can't have it. Uh, because as you know, overseas, things we have tried to prevent this natural mechanism of happening. And somehow it just happens anyway. Yeah, but I think in that path of it just happening, there sometimes is a lot of resentment. And so sometimes it's the mentality of those who are resenting that may need to be bridged if that makes yes, sense, right? Definitely. So, so it doesn't. It, it's not a simple. It's not a simple proposition to say. Well, it's inclusion. It's going to happen because you can still fight inclusion for as long as you want to fight it. Oh goodness, yes. Which, which goodness, you see yes. all over the place. I mean, you see it in Perth. You see it in Sydney. You see it, in, you know, outback. Like you see it everywhere. Like it doesn't. It doesn't like it. So, I guess you know you, you clearly have this passion for it and this desire for this topic, and you do it as a living. But I guess what I don't understand is why is it personally important to you? Like, why is this topic important to Natasha? That's a good question, too. Um, look, I'll, I'll make it very personal, and I think that will probably explain a little bit more where I come from. I came to Australia as a refugee, and, and as as much as my name or my visual appearance doesn't, doesn't show it in, in the way we currently think of uh, refugees, um, I, too, came from a community that was... Uh, went through turmoil, conflict, wars. I come from a multi-faith background and a multicultural background myself, a very diverse background in languages and pretty much uh, the entirety of my family is like that. So I've been kind of raised in a way where you think, you don't necessarily think of diversity in culture or religion as a bad thing. It just becomes kind of a good thing because you go, well, I get presents for two Christmases and two Easter's, you know, <laughs> things like that. Of course, you know, that is totally not what it's all about. But um, I suppose from, from my perspective, what? well, you know what? It shouldn't be about that. But I think it has a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah it has. It has. Um, oh, look, there, there are benefits to diversity, like I said, and you're noticing. <laughs> look, um, when it comes to um, my sort of background as well, it's um, settling in Australia wasn't necessarily something that I acknowledged as a tough journey, but it was in the sense that, you know, for instance, my last name, you were, you were asking, how do you pronounce that? What, 
Did I pronounce that right? Um, look, I never thought of it as a difficult one, but of course, moving to another country, uh, you start noticing you are not exactly like the others. Your last name is not Smith. And, and of course, the language barrier, I totally understand. I didn't speak a word of English about 17 years ago, if you can believe. So learned it from scratch in Australia. And I think my first two years of, of being in Australia, I have so many people to thank for including me in the education system, including me in their friendship groups, sporting clubs, things like that. And that really improved me, developed me as a person um, so that now I could potentially help the community I'm part of already, which is pretty much community of Perth. And I'm passionate about making it inclusive, but also acknowledging that, you know, as, a, as someone who's grown up here, I know that those who are coming to Perth they also need to put in the hard yards to bridge those differences and gaps in, in um, I suppose, understanding or the fears that people have. So that's where my passion comes from. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that story. So I guess for you, the work you do reflects the beliefs you have, which is great, like it should. And so during your work, can you give me some examples of how you foster inclusion? just like in your daily sure. life or in your work environment or something like that? Look, I do a number of things that, that sort of, um, I suppose, outside of work, I do a lot of volunteering to not necessarily foster inclusion across cultures, but uh, there are a lot of uh, people in Australia who are born in Australia, English speakers who struggle in pretty much passing high school. And, and that's as simple as that. And one of the things that I've, I've found is they feel excluded in their own curriculum, in, in their own school, because they're underachievers. And so that's something that I do is, is give them free tutoring, give them free career advice. I feel that, you know, they could be something and someone in the future, all they need that is that support, but they can't afford it. Um, the other thing is in my day job, uh, much of my work is about connecting existing community associations, multicultural groups, uh, even state and local governments to resources and, and existing services. They, they unfortunately haven't got the time to think about these and don't know about them, even if they speak English. So <laughs> that's part of my work is that connection and collectively working together with people who need it and people who want to do good for others as well. Uh, so whether they're non-government organizations or local governments, sometimes they want to build bridges, don't know how. I'll give you a really good example of that is uh, we've, we've talked about, you know, a lot of multicultural communities experience issues. And one of them is, per, I suppose, perhaps uh, one of the biggest ones might be mental health and domestic violence. And we see that in non-multicultural communities too. The difference is their perceptions of what domestic violence is, is very different. And so the issue isn't dealt with in the same way. Uh, they're unlikely to seek help. Uh, they might not have a word that reflects mental health or mental illness in their language. So their understanding is really, really fragmented. And so part of my job is to connect those service providers and, and those services and that information to the communities in a way they'll understand. Um, sometimes it's as good as finding a community champion, uh, such as a religious leader or someone who's already gone through it. They have the respect of the community and you work with them to boost uh, competency in the community. The other other side of it is sometimes they go, look, I'm scared of the police, but I need to talk to them. Can you help me? Finding the appropriate people sometimes uh, becomes a, a challenge for them, or they feel like they shouldn't talk to them because, of course, where they come from, the police persecuted them. So building that bridge and really what it means is the average taxpayer actually gets 
good outcomes for their money because the money actually works, doesn't it? So I suppose that's that's some of the work that I do. Okay, that's awesome. So last question, thank you for your time. As you know, quite often in life, we, we distinguish diversity and inclusion. And so diversity is one thing, inclusion is something different. So yeah, it's great that in many work environments and communities, we start to accept the idea of diversity. But the bigger question is then, how do we move past diversity and create situations or moments to engage in conversations that are more about inclusion? That is probably where Australia is currently at, and we should really think about this. Your question um, probably summarizes the crux of my work and how to make it into a policy in the future. Uh, look, when we talk about, and, and I'll go backwards, when, when we sort of uh, talk about diversity, we think difference, don't we? We think in a very linguistic sense, we go diversity really means difference. We don't think of it as negative, but diversity means different people. So a lot of the time when we talk about multiculturalism, people believe that you have to be of a different faith, a different culture, you have to belong to a particular group, and that makes you multicultural, therefore it makes you diverse, and therefore somebody must include you. And I think that's where, where we've really gone astray a little bit because diversity isn't about difference. I think it's a mindset. When we, when we talk about you know, uh, inclusion of someone, we automatically think they're different from us. So I think what it means is we need to think about self-reflection at the moment. So all of us have some sort of diversity. We have some sort of difference. We belong to different communities. Uh, whether you're white, Anglo, Celtic, Saxon, whatever you want to call it, we all belong to different groups. So when we talk about inclusion, it is no longer about identifying those differences and plugging those holes about, well, if they're different, we need to support them because it means it's a negative thing, isn't it? Usually when we talk about sport and difference, that's a positive thing, isn't it? Because a lot of the time you go, I must be better. I must be stronger. I must be faster. And that's where your difference is a positive in sport. In community, when we talk about difference, we think of weakness. Uh, we think, well, they're different language skills, they're different education skills, they're differently dressed. We think it's a negative. And that's where I go back to my idea of mindsets. I think it is the idea of we need to reflect on ourselves. We're all different. Diversity, put that aside. Inclusion should be just a natural way, as I said, natural thing that we do. And we do it anyway. We go to school with different people, and whether we like it or not, we include them in conversation, in class. When we go overseas, naturally we make friends from other cultures, don't we? Whether it's because we're getting drunk with someone or whatever it might be that we do. And, and of course, whatever whatever your affiliation is and whatever you wish to do. But naturally, we we do include other people because we're human. We're very social. So I think it's when we it talk about... Like what, it sounds, sorry, not to interrupt, but it sounds like what you're really saying is that it happens all the time already, but we don't actually know it's happening happening yes, yes, in that moment. Yes, and so yeah. having that uh, discussion in a broader sense, and again, going back to multiculturalism, you know, we like to pin uh, phrases or labels on things. So really, I think when we talk about this diversity inclusion, what we really should be doing is reflecting on what's already happening. So instead of striving to include, to include difference, we should really be thinking more about, well, what's actually happening already? Is it is there something that's already organically coming together? And let's foster it to continue. Because if we're trying to battle the wave that's already happening, I think that's where we get uh, the negative rhetoric from media. We get 
children being bullied, for instance, because they have funny names or uh, things that are naturally already happening because we all already know diversity, difference, it's already there. Inclusion is a whole different conversation and it is all about opening up those avenues and opportunities to actually harness their strengths and make the community pretty much cohesive because that difference does exist, doesn't it? So I hope that answers your question a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's that a very was tough great. question. <laughs> it is a, it's a, it's a multi-layered question. So, well, listen, Natas- <laughs> uh, thanks, Josh, for that. Um, uh, <laughs> Natasha Kus, see now it's stuck in my head, Kusmuk, thank you for your time, energy, and willingness to sit down with me on this UWA Pursue Inclusion Initiative. Thank you so much for having me. It was uh, lovely to chat about these topics. Really important, really timely. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to UWA Alumni's Pursue Inclusion podcast series. Make the commitment to leave no one behind by taking part in our movement towards an inclusive society. Join an inclusion project or inspire others to act through the great work you are already doing by visiting pursueinclusion.uwa.edu.au.